pray the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. If you believe, you give me an amen. amen. Right, let's de- declare the word of understanding because we believe that God has heard us and is going to give us revelation and understanding today. One, two, let's go. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His Word. The Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen? Amen. 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 If you believe it, give me an amen. amen. Say it like you are here. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. Before you take your seat, before you take your seat, please greet somebody on your left and your right. Tell them understanding is your portion in Jesus' name. Wisdom is your portion in the name of Jesus. All right, let's take our seats. The Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. The book of John, chapter 15. Let's go back there. The book of John, chapter 15. There's something I want to teach today. Nothing new, of course, we don't have to teach something new, but. It's a question people still ask once in a while, and sometimes you think you have already discussed it, but people probably don't understand you yet, or they didn't hear you completely, so it's important you go over these things again and again. Peter said, I will not neglect to remind you of these things, even though I know you know them already, and that is what I am operating this um, evening. The book of John chapter 15, I am the true vine, and my father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up. And they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Abide in my love. The Lord is good. All right, let's open again. I want us to read something else before I begin to speak. I didn't think about this earlier, so let me see which one I will use. And I will use the book of Luke. Okay, let's read the one in Mark chapter 4. This is the parable of the sower. I will quickly get into the interpretation so as to save time. Jesus was interpreting the parable to his disciples, and this was what he said to them. Verse 14, the sower sows the word. These are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places. 
who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom the seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And these are the ones on whom seed was sown on good soil. They hear the word and accept it and bear fruit thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. Now, what I just want to emphasize to us here again is that those who hear the word, who bear fruit, also bear fruit in different dimensions. Don't forget, there are some, some who hear that word, immediately they forget. They don't understand what you're talking about. Understanding is crucial to remembering. Memorizing is hard. But when you have understanding, you don't have to try to remember. The thing just sticks with you. Now, those who have no understanding, immediately they forget. But at the next level are those who hear the word and quickly they respond to it, but the word did not sink deep into them. So when persecution comes as a result of the word, they, they fall away. They fall away. And that's why I tell Christians, just by the way, don't make crucial decisions in a hurry. Sometimes we believers will go to church. Somebody persuades us, like Pastor Corey was teaching us when he was here last week, that people come into ministry for many reasons. Some people, a powerful man comes to, not really, you know, nothing bad, comes to persuade about the need for evangelism, the need for outreach, and he now calls upon those who are willing to commit their lives. And immediately they come forward, they fill a form, they join the missionary outreach, they get to the mission field, pressure makes them backslide from the mission field. So he said that many people are into ministry because somebody makes, made them respond under pressure. We have to be careful that we don't fall into that. So I tell people, if a man is preaching and he says, clear your bank account, listen, it's something you can regret. I'm not saying you shouldn't clear it. Did I say so? So what should you do? Go home first. Don't do it on the spot. Sometimes we are told that the devil will change your mind. It's not the devil. It's life. It's not the devil. So if you just go home, respond right now. Some of you, your spirit is saying, give $10,000. Give a million. If you go home and think about it, you may change your mind. That's manipulating spirit. The preacher talking is manipulating you. This is what I preach. Before you go and clear your account and be asking me for a refund tomorrow, go home. <laughs> Talk with your wife. Pray about it. If it is the spirit of God, you, do you understand? You will become more assured. You become firmer in your resolution. And when you do it after three days, four days, having become persuaded, you see, the Lord says we should give all the money we have saved up to the work of the ministry. You won't come after two days wondering why you did it. Because when people make critical decisions under pressure, they can easily regret. Some people say that is a miracle of marriage. A man meets them today because after a program, proposes to them, they agree tomorrow. I'm waiting for the testimony in two years' time. How can a man you are meeting for the first time? You do have a strong family structure that arranged the two of you. He said, just because you went for a program. They said, if you want to marry in a week, stand up. Don't let me sound critical. It's not men and women that stand up. 
I want to marry in a week. Of course, I join the two of you. Come on. What is marry in a week? If you want to marry by tomorrow morning, stand up. <laughs> you get my point? Men stand up, women stand up. I mix the two of you and you say it's a testimony. It's not a testimony. I'm sorry. That's just the way I see it. You're going to live with a man your whole life, a woman your whole life, and he proposes to you on Monday. And you're meeting him for the first time. I saw it on Sunday. Please go home and go and think. Ask your friends who love the Lord. I don't mean some, don't say some nonsense friends. Don't ever ask them some serious questions. Why are they your friends in the first place anyway? <laughs> now, what I'm trying to say is that you're supposed to think about some things before you make up your mind. Why? The Bible says that those who have no depth are the ones that respond quickly. Is there? Because they do not have depth. They quickly, you know, shoot out. And then after some time, when persecution comes, they fall away. Because life, difficult times will come in life. Nobody can help that. God didn't do it so that there will never be difficult times. Then we have those who have the root. But why don't they bear fruit? Because something else is mixed with them. The Bible calls it the cares of the world, the worries of the world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Those ones, again, they don't bear fruit. They become unfruitful. But again, remember, Jesus said there are some who don't bear fruit. We're not talking about them. We're talking about those who are bearing fruit. That's what we're talking about. He said those ones bear fruit in three dimensions. There is 30-fold, there is 60-fold, and there is 100-fold. The question we should remind ourselves, or you should get the answer to, and remind ourselves all the time of the answer is, why are there different levels of fruitfulness? And that's what we're talking about, perfecting the Lord's vessels. And the Lord Jesus said, when I find 30-fold fruit in your life, when the father finds 30-fold fruit in your life, the first thing he does is to prune you. You know why? He wants to increase the fruitfulness to 60-fold. If he finds 60-fold fruit, he prunes you to improve the fruitfulness, fruitfulness to 100-fold. That is, there is always something to do to increase your fruitfulness. And that's what the Bible is trying to teach us here. Fruitfulness can be increased now, let me say this to us again. You don't increase fruitfulness because you desire. What increases fruitfulness is pruning. It's not desire. It's what? Pruning. So we can easily understand, therefore, that when you find 60-fold somewhere, but 30-fold elsewhere, that means there is something in the 30-fold fellow that has not been pruned. Do you get what I'm trying to explain here? That if that fellow is pruned of that 34 of, of those um, extra loads, the, the fruitfulness will automatically become what? 60. If somebody is bearing 60-fold results, when he or she could be bearing a hundredfold, it's not Lord, make me a hundredfold person. You don't claim a hundredfold by faith per se. You receive a hundredfold by being pruned to the level of a hundredfold. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. Is that pruning that determines the extra level of fruitfulness that we can get to? We were praying the other day. I said we should pray like this. That, Lord, not one shred of my destiny will be unfulfilled. Now, it's not just like when you pray that prayer. You know, there's a prayer that I pray. I wrote it for myself some time ago. <laughs> when I get to a particular point. 
I was de- I'm declaring the word. Say, Lord, every hindrance. Now listen to what I'm about to say. Every hindrance to my bearing my full fruit in life, I rebuke you. Get out of my life in Jesus' name. Are you getting my point? I said, Lord, take it away. Then I put in bracket, Lord, have mercy. Did you catch that? Because when you tell God, take it away, <laughs> if he starts taking it away. <laughs> it's pruning, we call it. Oh. They don't do pruning with ororo. You know what they call ororo? When God wants to prune a tree, he doesn't rub oil there. What he does is get something sharp. I actually told the Lord at the time, that is why I'm praying this prayer. It is because I know if pruning starts, if pruning starts without that prayer, Father, you have to learn to give thanks. Otherwise, you will learn to give cry. You will be crying. So I have to say to the Lord, please, take it gently. Talk to me first. See whether I can pull it by myself. Are you getting my point? Uh-huh. There are certain parts of your body. Somebody, well, if you are like my wife and I, will I help each other pull things away from parts of the body, like maybe the face. Now, when it comes to places like here, you know, it's very sensitive. You have a small pimple here. Your husband shouldn't press it. So that kind of one, I say, press it yourself so that you know when it's getting too painful, you leave it. So sometimes I want to do things like that. Tell the Lord, let me do it myself. Just wait. I will do it gently. I don't want you to go and squeeze it hard. You will not shout. Because pruning is, is with a sharp implement. It cuts off things that are still attached to you. It doesn't remove things that are dead. If they were dead, there wouldn't be a problem. If they were dead, there wouldn't be a problem. Very good businessmen. You know, if you read, read this man's book, um, um, Ayakoka by Lee Ayakoka. When the man, you know, when they analyzed his, um, no, it's straight from the gut, Jack Welch. When Jack Welch was talking about how he handled, I think, General Electric, he said he wanted it to be number one. So you know what he did? He removed everything in which they were not number, between number one and number three. What was he trying to say? He said, we are too inefficient in those areas. That's why we're not on top. So let's put our energy where we're, where we're on top. Many things, why the Lord prunes is that this thing is taking um, nutrients and it's not producing anything. Many times in businesses, people have to learn to do it in businesses. You will see businesses that are taking nutrients. They are taking your time, that's nutrient. They are taking your staff's time, that's nutrient. They are taking your investment, cash, that's nutrient. But at the end of the day, you do analysis of your business. What is coming in from there? Are you getting my point here? And listen, every business, you must know how you calculate your, your, what do you call it? Let me use the word productivity. Because you see, for example, in, in ministry, productivity is not measured by cash. Because I've seen churches that close branches because the return to headquarters is small. I've heard people make statements like, how much money will you spend in the Kokomaiko to get how much money as offering? Like if you spend that money in Victoria Island, you know how much it will be. That's the wrong way to assess ministry. Ministry is not about how much cash. A branch is not doing well just because they are tight. You've checked it. It's now big. Please, if you're a minister or a minister is listening to this, please, don't ever reason like that. God gets angry with such thought processes. You are valuing the soul of men. You know, like you're you are a Babylonian. You know what I mean by Babylonian now? You are operating the principle of Babylon. Because you are making the soul of men exchangeable for cash. It's not right. 
God showed Israel, all right, that one of his signs that your God is different and he's just is that he has valued life exactly the same way. The poor and the rich, God placed the same value upon them in Israel. So we must learn how to measure productivity. Ministry is not measured by how much cash is coming in. Are you getting my point? When Pastor Christ came last week, he, he taught very powerfully. Those of us who attended the minister's uh, meeting, he taught very, very powerfully. And I still chatted with him yesterday night. I said, my brother, that thing you shared, what blessed me the most there? Of course, he taught for hours. I was blessed by his spirit, the apostolic spirit that he brought. Touched me. But for me, the way the Lord touched me directly, which I can connect with and testify about, was when he was explaining the issue of, of the church filling everywhere with their doctrine. I said, wow. Yesterday night in the hotel, we, we, we came from Oka just uh, before this meeting. So I was with um, um, Tor Reverend and uh, Israel. We were talking. I said, look, <laughs> we have to amplify filling everywhere. Because suddenly I realized, oh, this is how we measure in kingdom word. And when I get testimonies from everywhere, I told you a testimony the other day. To me, that's one of the greatest testimonies. I've had different, different ones, but for me, that was a great testimony. A young man who came from Lafia. I said, wow, testimony. He said he went to Abuja to go and buy, I think, a car or something from Lafia. And when he got there, another, he was talking with the car dealer. Another guy was there listening to him. They two also came to buy a car. So he said there was a statement he made to the dealer. This was in Abuja. He went from Lafia. He made a statement to the dealer. The other man just started and said, hey, you, you sound like you listen to Pastor Banky. Do you know him? So he turned to the guy and said, ah, do you know Pastor Banky? So they both brought out their phones and showed that that was what I was listening to just before now. They hugged each other like brothers. Wow! He came and gave me the testimony. I said, Father, this earth is really being filled with the knowledge of God as the water covers the seas. That is, for me, that is a measure of productivity. It's not bank account. Our account balance is just so that we can do what we have to do. So that's why you don't hear me complain about money. If the money is small, we do what we can do. If it increases, we increase what we can do. You must know how you, in, you measure productivity. There are families where they measure productivity the wrong way, money, in valuing the, the, the woman's time and the man's time. It's not all about money. The fact that you stay some extra hours with your children, how do you measure that in cash? When you don't use the, Babylon, the spirit of Babylon, how are you going to measure that? It's impossible to measure. You just do the investment according to the word of God. Please, let's bear that in mind. Know how you measure productivity. Even in business, it's not all about money. Sometimes, it's just about the number of staff you can pay. Because God sent us not just to make money, but to make lives better. If I'm in an environment, you understand? At least be careful when you imbibe the principle of the world that measures everything in cash. There was a time one major, let me not mention names now, one major Indian company, their profit margin was narrow. So the mistake, oh, to me, when I read, I said this is a mistake. They brought Americans to restructure the company. And those ones came to restructure it on profit. So, of course, you know, to increase profit, what do you do? Lay off staff, do this, reduce staff benefits. That Those guys have too many benefits going out. So at the end of the day, only one person will benefit, the investor, the owner of the business. But that's not how God measures productivity. I heard a story of another man, an American businessman. He does his own principle of, in quotes, in quotes now, ties in a funny way. 
10% of the company's profit is reserved for retaining staff they don't need any longer. I don't know what I get what I'm trying to say. That 10% of their company profit is, retain, is reserved for retaining staff they don't need. Because as technology was advancing, things were becoming you know, more efficient. They suddenly realized that we can do this work better and lay off some staff. They said, no, we will not lay the staff off. They've been with us for 10 years. They've been with us for 15 years. If we lay them off, where are they going to start life again from? So the man said, no problem. What we'll do is that 10% of this company, the terms of our profit is retained to subsidize retaining staff who don't critically need. Is that not wasted money? Of course it's not wasted money. Those people are going to pay house rent, or like this abroad, pay their mortgage. Children will go to school. You know, it's not every time you go and be handling money out like, uh, you know, like charity. Man of God is giving, out, giving money to the poor. Man of God is giving money to the poor. It's not every time you do that. There are times you allow people the dignity of labor. Let them come to work in the morning. Let them close in the evening. Let them earn their wage and go home, set an example for their children. And the man did that. 10% of their profit retained, I mean, dedicated to retaining staff they no longer need. Staff they could replace with machine. So you see, the way you measure productivity, that's what I'm going to explain. So now having said that, let's get back to what we're saying. Having said that, in productivity, therefore, you have to be sure, you check closely. And if you're running a business, running a ministry and everything, check. Like now, one of the things we do, we were broadcasting in Ogun at the time, a particular radio station in Ogun State. How did we check productivity there? I kept on asking then, um, Thor Reverend had our phones. How many calls? That is, we spent money on them for months. We did not get one phone call. Finally, they called us that um, our money has expired. We need to pay money. So I said, ah, Olayinka. Has anybody called? So no, he called them and said, we're not paying you. Why? We're not, because we're so far away. We're in Enugu. We're not sure you are broadcasting us regularly. They said they are. We said we're not certain. How come we have never gotten a feedback? So the marketer told one man to call us. <laughs> so one day, after the program, we got the phone call. Inka <laughs> said, okay, this is one of your phone call. It's them. It's them calling us. So we refused to renew. Because I said, no, no how, no how. We should get one phone call. Because we always announce our numbers. At least you should, people will flash us. There are many places we broadcast at some odd hours. And people say, it's good, it's good, it's good. Say, How are you sure it's good? I just ask, I say, hey, Felix, any phone calls from this place? He said, yes, okay, I will know. We know when you stop, when the broadcast ends, if it's supposed to end, let's say, by 6 a.m. The phones are on. If we get a few text messages of somebody, even his ordinary flash, or one or two phone calls, they will know people are listening. So that one in Ogun, that time, we discontinued it. We said we are wasting kingdom resources. It wasn't like we didn't have the money. That time, how many stations were we on? But we took the money and placed elsewhere. I'm talking about measuring productivity. Okay? So we checked it. Are people being blessed? As long as people are being blessed, we are putting in the resources. We are putting in the energy. When we get testimony from different places, like that brother came from Lafia, he said that I should forget it. He doesn't believe I have the capacity to understand what the word has done there. That you don't even think about it. That you're just telling me that it's working. How much are we spending? We're not even thinking about it anymore. It is working. Please, I hope you're getting my point here. 
Alright? So, we removed money from that place, the Obuna I was telling you about then, because we just felt, look, this is taking money. What is it producing for the work of the ministry? What is it producing? And the same thing in your life, if you are doing business, you have to check it. Everything must have an explanation if investment is going there. It must have an explanation. I said explanation because it's not everything you measured it in terms of financial flow. But there must be an explanation. There must be an explanation. Because the principle of God is that if it is wasting resources, we prune it off. If it's wasting resources, it has to go. What I used this one to explain so far is that the thing is attached to the main vein. That is why it's a pruning. If it was dead, it would not waste any resources. It won't take anything. The rest can use it. So if you are cutting off dead branches, it's not pruning. <laughs> Do you follow my point? It's not pruning. It's something that appears alive, but it's taking more resources than it is contributing into the general well-being and productivity of the plant. I hope you're getting my point here. So 30-fold, 60-fold, what, what is God is saying is that in that 30-fold individual, there are many things in life. Don't forget this. Some didn't bear fruit at all. What was the reason? They didn't understand. Then they, did, they, they sprang up quickly. Then thorns choked. All of them, no fruit. Now, this is my understanding of it. Therefore, the 30-fold person, there are some certain things he doesn't understand. He are taking a bit of his productivity. There are certain areas where the depth of understanding does not, is not deep. It's not great. So he's taking a bit of his productivity. There are certain areas in which thorns are present. Choking, because the choking thorn, remember, is the sower went forth to what? To sow. And what we are checking is the quality of the seed. True or false? False is the quality of the soil. The seed is the word of God, always good. What I mean by that is that, so the soil is not taking just one seed. It's taking a lot of seeds. So, some of them die, even in the good soil. Do you get my point? Some die in the good soil. So those ones account for the, short, the shortage in the productivity. Some of them don't have, you know, they still have tons choking them, even in the good soil. So if the fellow needs to improve productivity, therefore, what does he, what does he do? What does she do? She removes those tons that are rem- remaining, the remnants. See, there are different ways God used, uh, explains things to us. So I'm mixing about two of them together now. The branch, you understand, and then the soil we read from Mark chapter 4. All right? Now, so when God wants to improve productivity, he prunes. And what, what, what does that mean? He improves the fellow's understanding. Now, for him to improve your understanding, he takes more of your time. I don't know whether you're getting my point. Your understanding doesn't come out of nothing. You need to spend more time praying. You need to spend more time studying. That's one, that's one area I try to discipline myself because I have many things I'm doing. You know, there's a phone call I told my wife I'm going to make to, to somebody. There's a place I go on this in a while. I just tell the guy, look, I'm not coming again. There's no point. It's costing me something, but I said, but I, I can't go. I gave an example when I first came to town. Because of my specialty, I had a small private practice. One day I shut it down. My mother said, why? I said, I don't have time. I had, listen, I had the time. So it's not as if 
I couldn't make the time if I wanted to. But I just judged that it was not necessary. The time, I said to my mother then, I said, ministry takes a lot of time. So I need to give ministry more time. And she passed a very good comment, naturally speaking. But you are going to lose money in that process. So I said, so what are we going to do? I didn't try this. No, 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 it doesn't matter. You know, the ministry can actually pay if you do it well. No, 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 that's not the explanation you need. What I said simply is, what are we going to do therefore? I said, this is the reason why we were born. This is the reason why God did not, I told my mother that, this is the reason why God did not allow me to die at birth. Let me add things to it. I didn't say to her then, this is the reason why I went to Enugu in the first place. So I'm going to say because it does not pay, we're not going to do it. So we're talking about pruning. So anything you are doing, you rearrange. Well, look, some people go to too many weddings, too many funerals. You're always on the road. Somebody's getting married. Somebody's getting died. <laughs> you don't know it's time. Sometimes, look, when you are being pruned, let me say something to you. The pruning thing is not the cutting off of bad things. That's what I'm going to emphasize. It's just the cutting off of the things that are not as productive as your life should be. So you go for the wedding, two hours to get there, four hours to participate, two hours to come back. Sometimes you ask yourself, how crucial, crucial was I to that wedding? Sometimes you just look at it. Ah, I guess my cousin is good though that I, did, that I went, but next cousin that's wedding, my money shall go for me. And believe me, usually when it's cousins, you know, distant relatives, even the fellow prefers your cash. Just make the cash good. You understand my point? You say, no, you know, my presence is important. It's because your cash is not important. If your cash was heavy enough to be important, you realize that it's more important than your presence. What am I saying to us? Listen to me. In the principle of pruning, you don't prune, up, prune dead things. You prune things that are living, that the cutting off of them will be painful, but that is necessary to direct nutrient. Your time is a nutrient. It's not every funeral that requires your presence. There are times you just sit at home and say, I'm not going to bury the person. If the person is angry that I did not come, wake up from the dead. If you say I agree to lie down in that casket, then forget it. I'm not saying you never go for funerals. Are you getting my point? But you prune them. You, you know, you check. the Look, many of, many of us, I mean, many of you present here have been blessed by Kingdom World today. Do you know one of the ways Kingdom World was built? This guy didn't used to attend weddings. I'm not joking, because we meet on Saturdays. So if you want me to attend your wedding, you come and wed in Enugu. Or you wed in December. People shift weddings for my sake. We're going for a wedding end of this month. That's one of the, the brothers said, oh God, you must be there. I said, you know it's during the year and it's Saturday. He said, oh God, we wed on Sunday. Because he wants me to be there. One of, that's one reason he's wedding on Sunday. Because he knows I'm not going to come if he puts it on Saturday. Why? He's wedding in Lagos. It's so serious to him. He bought the ticket. That please, sir, you will come. I said, Saturday, you ain't going to see my legs. He said, no problem. I will wait on Sunday. People have put wedding in December so I can attend. Because they know if it's any other time of the year, this guy is not coming. 
If you want me to attend wedding in Enugu, the day my younger brother got married, they wedded in town here. Of course, my people came. My mom was around, relatives, aunties, uncles, everybody. The whole town was full. Oh, finish the wedding. Ah, Amara said, Sir, where are you going? That's the wife. I said, We're going to Bible study. He said, You will see priest today. I said, Because he wedded, I won't preach. You're not serious. <laughs> as soon as he finished wedding, we packed up, got back to Kingdom World, and continued preaching. Many people have married in our family. My aunt, listen, my auntie was being buried. Listen, my hometown from here eh, is. Six to seven hours non-stop driving. <laughs> you know the way it is. Funerals Friday and Saturday. They were going to do interment on Saturday. Friday I was there. Wake up. We're doing it together. Doing everything together. We thank the Lord. So, Saturday morning, I drove my mother to the venue. This is her younger sister. All right. Of course, you knew ahead of time. My mother was in my car with her friend. I just drove them to church. As soon as they came down in church, discussed some things with my mother, saluted her, greeted her, bye-bye. Saturday morning, seven hours, I was heading for Enugu. I got to Enugu 4.30. Started preaching by 5. Ah, many times I go for my, you know, my wife's family wedding in Benin. We'll be here in church. As everybody is thanking God, as our service is ending, I tell my wife, greet your mother, greet your father. I've entered the car. I'm driving to Enugu. That's why in all these years, from 2003 till now, you can count the number of times I was absent from Kingdom Word and it was not because I went somewhere else to preach or my local convention. After a while, I got the reputation. Oh, Pastor Banke can't come. You know, it's just normal. It's not a bad thing anymore. So I will call you and greet you Send you what I can send you, but I'm not going to come. And I love you, not like I don't, but I have not come in. It's called pruning. We have to rearrange the priorities. We have to show what is important. Sometimes you are doing a business. There are places you, you, you have customers, money they but look at the effort. <laughs> I don't know what I can give you as an example. You know Nigeria breweries. There was then they were selling one particular soft drink. Let me not mention it because we are recording. Very nice soft drink. That time my wife was working in UBA. My neighbor, Chima, was working there. So he used to bring it home. You know, my wife would buy in the office when the, the trucks come and all of that. We liked it. Then one day they stopped. Ah, why did they stop? Amongst many things, my brother did his IT there. He said, look, that they need all their resources to bottle star. This soft drink people are enjoying, it's not their thing. They, they weighed it. It's, it was selling them. Why? <laughs> they say when they are bottling their main product, Star. <laughs> because that time, you know, my brother walked them. He, they told us some things. After they brewed for some weeks, when they start bottling, they bottled day and night for days on end. They are bottling and bottling and stacking it. Then they have to start arranging distribution. They saw this other soft drink thing, even though it was doing well. They said, no, sorry. It's called pruning. They pruned up that soft drink arm, even though it seemed to have been doing well, and focused their efforts. I'm not saying you should go and start a brewery. I'm just trying to explain the principle. So even when you are doing business, there are times you prune. In our lives also, we go from 30-fold to 60-fold to 100-fold, not just by desire, but because of what? Pruning. 
And you know the interesting part? Pruning is only when there's productivity. Are you getting my point? It's only because we're already fruitful that God starts the pruning process. So your life does not get easier just because you are now productive as a believer. God starts looking for every load, everything that looks like it's not good. It's not as if it's bad. That's what I've emphasized. It's not like it's bad. There are relationships you will stop feeding because they take too much out of you. They take too much out of you. Do you know there are... <laughs> one brother gave me, one day came to me talk about one lady that, one, their sister, when they were in school and all of that. The only time she finishes talking to him, that maybe they have a discussion, and she talks, gives him advice, that his spirit will drop. He'll be depressed and confused. So I asked him, so why are you still talking to her? I know, are you a gluten for punishment? When you see her coming, just be like, ah, Sister Ruth, I don't know her name. How are you? As you say, how are you? You'll be running. Is something pursuing you? Yes, so I need to move. <laughs> she will never guess that she's the one pursuing you. There are people I have told many times, I mean, I preach this many times. There are people that need to prune, now this may not sound good, they need to prune the relationship they have with their parents. I had a relative that time, many times she and her husband would call her, would carry the phone and call the, the mother. He said he's going to kill me. One day I'd say, what is your problem, sir? You want to kill yourself and kill your mother at the same time, giving the old woman high blood pressure. There are some people that look, once you talk to your father, you are not happy for two days. He doesn't see what you are doing, wasting your time in that place. You are still walking in that dead-end place. What is he doing there? And you know what you are doing there. He just that like he can't see what you are seeing. It's a simple thing. Stop calling him. If somebody you can talk to, I say, ah, you don't call me anymore. He say, okay, what is the one that calls? Hey, let your wife answer. Where's your husband? Once the phone rings and it is him, go to the bathroom. Start bathing. <laughs> Tell you the truth. Where's your husband? He's bathing. After some time, is he always bathing? <laughs> Said, Daddy, I don't know. Once you call, he starts basing. I don't know how it is. He said, well, what about honor your father and your mother? <laughs> you know, I like, you know, God has given us money for certain reasons. If your mother is disturbing you, don't worry. Let her greet your wife. You regularly send her money. So tell him it's not his money I want. Finally, talk to her mommy. You know the reason why I don't answer? You know, I like people like my wife and some people like that. They will tell you what's in their mind. It's people like me that will be dodging you. Me, I can dodge. I'm an artful dodger. I'll start dodging you. But my wife, like, like, dodge you for what? Here's my wife. She'll call the phone. <laughs> uh, mommy, do you know why my husband doesn't talk to you again? Anytime he talks to you, you make him sad. So that's why he said, he said why is he sad? So you're always telling him, asking him, what is he still doing in that dead place? So if you just stop telling him, his place where he is is dead. Your son will start calling you. I like who can be straightforward like that. But whichever way, prune that. Prune. Because each progress as a believer is tied to what you are willing to prune in your life. It's tied to what God can prune in your life. That's the point I'm trying to make. 
Now, my, my plan when I began this message was to show to us again that, listen, a hundredfold result is the same thing as fullness of destiny. And it does not come free. It doesn't. What God does is to continually remove weights from our lives. In our today, somebody asked me a question about predestination. It's part of the reasons why I went that way. I said, no, we should explain this thing to people again. Let's talk about that predestination thing. This was the definition I gave them in Oka, which I should drop here again. I said predestination, God's destiny for your life, is what will happen in your life if you worked with him 100%. It is not that, listen, the fact that God has destined something does not mean you must walk into it automatically. The fact that God says, this is what I planned for you, does not mean it will happen automatically. You know, I had to prepare a Bible study recently about the will of God, and there was something I stumbled in when I was doing my research and all of that. I found somebody divided the will of God into two categories. Even though I already knew those, in fact, as I stumbled into it, I I was trying to define God's will. So I had like five or six things that the Bible calls the will of God. But one man grouped them into two categories. Beautiful. He said there's what is called the sovereign will, and there is a command will. What is sovereign will? That which will happen no matter what you think. For example, why does the sun rise from the east and set in the west? It's a sovereign will of God. Did, we, did you and me ever agree on it? Let's join our hands. Father God, the sun you're about to create is going to come up on the east and come down the west. No. The time you were born is the sovereign will of God. Where you were born the sovereign will of God. Are you, I hope you're getting my point here. Many things. Will Jesus die? The sovereign will of God. He determined it by himself. You can't affect it. But there's what they call the command will. I like that. What is the command will? That is, now I want to give you my own definition. It is that which God desires. And it instructs us to do. It is that which God desires, which our cooperation with him is, what, is how it will come to pass. And this is what I'm going to explain. Your destiny is part of the command will of God. Which means that even though he has willed it, it doesn't happen automatically. And if what he wills always happened automatically, why would Jesus make it a prayer point? That's how I prove it to people. What God wills, does it happen automatically? Of course not. If it happened automatically, why will it be called why should it be a prayer point? Thy will be done on earth as it is written, as it is recorded in heaven. It's a prayer point because that prayer is necessary for it to be done. If we don't pray the prayer, it will not be done. If we don't do certain things, it will not be done. That is what is called the command will of God. That is something we have to do something about for it to happen. And I'm saying that our destiny in life is part of that command will. He has purposed it does not mean to happen automatically. 30, 60, 100 fold shows us also that we can get into different levels of the manifestation of God's destiny for our lives. And the extent to which you experience is determined, all right, the extent you will experience is determined by the extent that you obey the things that are commanded for you to do. Let me say another thing. You cannot walk directly and say, this is my destiny, I'm walking towards it. God doesn't do that to anybody. 
God never gives the full picture of what is happening in your life. Paul said, all I know about my life is that bonds and afflictions await me anywhere I go. I don't know whether you're getting my point. The Paul know that you and I will gather together and be quoting him. I can assure you, he did not. The Paul know that one day a book will be compiled called the New Testament of the Bible and he will be the author of half of the book. No. When Paul was saying all scripture is inspired, he was referring to Genesis all the way down to Exodus, and, sorry, Deuteronomy. He was referring to the Psalms, the history of Israel. He was referring to the prophets, the Isaiahs, the Jeremiahs, all of that, down to Malachi. That's what he was referring to. That's what he called scripture. It never crossed his mind that he was going to be scripture one day. Each letter he wrote, he wrote under a number of circumstances, one to help friends solve problems. Like they want to Philemon. It was because a slave that ran away gave his life to Christ. So he was sending him back. The one to the church, the, the, the book of Galatians, the, the, church, the, the, the church there, it, was, it wasn't trying to write, it was anger. What happened? They are believing on that doctrine. Bring paper, bring paper. Timothy writes, Paul, an apostle, not by the will of God. It's not by the will of man, but by the will of God. To the church in Galatia, I'm ashamed of all of you. Rubbish and nonsense. What is going on? I am surprised. He began to get angry. What is all of this? Oh, somebody came because I've been behaving gently, teaching the wrong doctrines. If anybody, if anybody preaches another doctrine, apart from the one who has delivered to you, what light a lie, God will punish him. That's what he said. Am I the one that said it? It's not in your Bible. Let him be accursed. That's a nice way, a polished way of saying, waka. <laughs> that was what happened now. Let him be wakad. <laughs> I like the way he ended it. He said, from now on, nobody should disturb my soul. Nobody should trouble me. I be on my back the brand marks of Christ. So peace be upon the Israel of God. If you don't want to belong to the real Israel of God. Why did he say Israel of God? He said the one you are trying to belong to is not the Israel of God. A letter written like that is now today scripture. There are few letters he wrote that he felt was going to establish doctrine. One of them is the book of Ephesians. And they went to the Romans. All the other ones, they were friendly, you know, Letters. To help the church, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, they wrote him, asked questions. He said, "Okay, concerning the things you wrote me about, what am I going to say?" The destiny of Paul. All he knew was bonds and afflictions awaited him everywhere. How do we get to the fullness of destiny? It's not by knowing it. It's by this constant pruning we are talking about. It's by this constant obedience. You know, many people who say, "What is my call in life?" What is God's will for me here? What does God want me to do? Those questions, for you to have them in your heart is good. But don't expect direct answer. My son, I have called thee. To be, most of the times, don't worry. I, see, we to answer, I think Pastor Corey answered that, one, that, weekend, that weekend. So am I an apostle, evangelist, pastor? Just do the one that you can do. The title will sort it out later. After all, most titles people use these days, they are wrong. You know that? People say there are fivefold ministry. I don't believe in fivefold ministry. I believe in fourfold. I believe pastor teacher is one. 
And I'm not the only one. Many people, and what's my reason? I give some as apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some as pastors and teachers. It didn't break it. There's a reason why they didn't break it, because it goes together. That's why I don't reject, I don't re- I don't reject the title Pastor Bank, even though I don't pastor a church. What we call pastor as the head of a church is not in the Bible at all. Most of the people we call evangelists. That's one that makes me laugh. Most people call evangelists. The Bible never called them evangelists. It called them apostles. One of our brothers, everybody calls him evangelist. One day I called him, I said, but you're not an evangelist. No, he heard me say it. Then you're not an evangelist. You're an apostle. This kind of thing you are doing is an apostolic office. Yes. Ah, you see, people like Raymond Bunky, they call them what? Evangelists. No. They are not evangelists. They are apostles. And you can see the signs of an apostle in their ministry. Have you heard it before? The evangelist reaches the world. You understand? The evangelist reaches the world. The Bible never says so. It says it's given for the what? The define of the saints. I've reasoned about it. The best example, what I think is an evangelist, are those people who motivate Christians to do what is right. I didn't want to use the word, but that's the best way. In the Christian circle, they are motivational people. That when they come in, you feel like walking on water. I don't know whether I get my point. They encourage the people who are downtrodden, those who are down. They bear good news in a funny way. They just walk in. By the time they are done, boom, you are suddenly lifted. Anytime they come, people are encouraged. Now, what am I saying? That's my own understanding of it. Somebody else may understand it differently. And of course, who do we call prophets? Those who see visions. <laughs> I've read my Bible. Most prophets in the Bible, they call people to repentance. Even they charge supernaturally for it. John the Baptist wasn't seeing visions. He had only one message. Two messages. One, repent. Two, Jesus is coming. That's all. There's one coming greater than I. So what I'm going to emphasize, it is not about getting to know the title. Where do I belong? Where do I... That's not what the issue is. So what's most important? Just do what you are doing right now. You know how God is using you, how you are effective. Do it well. How do you get to the fullness of destiny? That's what I'm talking about. How do you get to the place? You know what God said to Abraham? Let's just read this one. I, I, I want to read this. It's very nice. When God called Abraham, there's something if you have my, um, my own version of the Bible. Genesis chapter 12, that's when God called him. He said, now the Lord said to Abraham, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. Now, that word, show you, that's what I want to bring out. If you have the Bible in basic English, it said, the translation is this. Into the land, he said, from your, father's, from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land into which I will be your guide. Let me just get, me get the translation out. Bible in basic English. Which verse is that? Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go out from your country and from your family and from your father's house into the land to which I will be your guide. That translation is accurate. It explains what God does to people. Many of us, what we want is a vision. Abraham, by the time he left, 
or of uh, of uh, child is it Chaldees or Chaldees whatever you pronounce it. All right. At that time, he didn't see any vision. He just started moving. What God did was to guide. Do you get my point? Guide. Let me tell you something about a guide. You don't see further ahead than where you are right now, really. You only see a few steps ahead because there's a guide in front of you. Are you getting my point? If somebody's guiding you somewhere, it doesn't show you the place far off, really. You get to the next junction. Where he turns, you turn. Now, what am I going to emphasize here? The destiny that God has for us, that's how we get there. It's not like we know it. No. Step by step, we obey what he's saying. We follow him one step after another. The Bible tells that righteousness will guide. That's what the Bible says. It says uprightness will guide the... Ah, there's a scripture from Proverbs. That uprightness is like a guide. That is, sometimes, where does God want me to go? God will do it in such a manner that one side will be wrong, one side will be right. It's not about praying. It's not about praying. Which job does God want me to take? Because the one you are in right now, you signed a one-year agreement. Why are you coming praying that? What, what job does he want me to take? Sometimes you don't, know, you don't even sign an agreement. You just have common sense. What about common sense? Somebody spends money, sends it for trading. One day, one brother was angry with another brother. He, told, he confided in me. He said, I'm angry with this brother. He said, I know where he works. His boss spent money to send him abroad for training for two weeks. And I know he's resigning the next six months. Why did he go? I don't know whether you're getting my point. It's like a friend of yours is in a particular company. He has told the police, I'm resigning, I'm getting another job. I'm also, when? He said, okay, I'm leaving by August. Then today, that is that he saw a guy is sending him for a training in Abuja. They will lodge in Nikon. And he knows it's costing the boss, you no, know, one million naira to send two of them. Common sense will tell you, even though you did not want to break the news to the man so far ahead, but your conscience will let you know, say, sir, I'm sorry. Can you send somebody else for this training? He said, no, you are the best staff here. Yes, sir, I know, but sir, don't waste your money. I didn't want to tell you this now, but I intend to leave before the end of the year. It's the right thing to do. You know, sometimes eh, people say that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, I stand around and I'm praying, Lord, speak to me. That's not the meaning of that scripture. As many as are led, what is controlling you must be the Spirit of God. That the Spirit of God, the attitude of God, the desires of God. The righteousness of God. It's not spirit of God saying, hey, okay, Muti, have you woken up now? I, thy Lord, want to speak to thee this morning. That's not the meaning of spirit of God. That is why most of the time people say they heard God, they heard God. You don't even like what they heard. The reverend said, a man and his woman and his wife came to speak to him once. The woman did all the talking. The woman was always talking. The man could hardly put in a word. And every time she said, the Lord spoke to me, and the Lord spoke to me, and the Lord spoke to me. He said, after a while, he told the woman, so he just interrupted. I said, you must be a difficult person to live with. He said to her straight. The woman was shocked. He said, yes, because disagreeing with you is disagreeing with God. <laughs> said the woman's husband burst into laughter. <laughs> By the time your husband is laughing, when you are being yapped like that, just know you are in, that is your own matter, eh? He said the woman's husband burst into laughter. <laughs> he started laughing. That's how this woman has been harassing me at home. God spoke to her. <laughs> if I say let's eat bread, God said we should eat yam. 
If I said, let's go for somebody's wedding, say, you just get married, let us go there. Say, no, God said we should go for Angela's wedding. And of course, every time I disagree, I'm not listening to God. I first people say that my husband thinks I don't know how to hear God. Listen to me. If your husband disagrees with you, you didn't hear God. You're a witch. You're <laughs> if you have a husband that loves the Lord, two of you are going to church. You are praying. Let's do something. You heard God. You didn't hear. Just tell the voice talking to you. Go and talk to my husband. Now come and say, as I pray this morning, husband, my, my spirit, rubbish. I heard that come my spirit, my spirit. The spirit of God we are talking about is the spirit of righteousness. The spirit of faithfulness. The spirit of uprightness. That you don't need anybody to talk to you. Your boss is about to invest this amount of money to train you. You know it is not so that you can retire. He's training you so that the company can move forward. And you know you are living the next few months. Tell him, sir, it will not be right for me to accept this training. But many Christians will accept it. Say, ah, we just want to go Nikon, go flange, man. You know, you know, we're doing selfie at the recession of Nikon. <laughs> Rubbish. Some people are archiving for their own punishment. They want to set you on trial. Angels just down, they'll hack into your, your Google Plus account. They'll load all your rubbish selfie and show it to God. Proof that this boy is not sensible. They come and say, another job. They say, ah, another job. Guys, I'm sorry. Not now. Why not? We just finished intensive training. I, do, I can't face my boss and say I'm leaving. Let me tell you the truth. Opportunity comes but once is not the gospel of the blessed person. Opportunity comes but once is a lie. Blessings are commanded. God guides people with uprightness. The integrity of the upright is his guide. Say, guys, I would have loved to leave, but the least I can do is work for this man for one more year. We just spent this amount of time training. I need to train somebody else to take over from me. I'm sorry. Listen, you will look like a fool. It does not matter. But at least you are working in uprightness. That is how God guides Christians. What we want is that uh, as I woke up this morning, the Lord began to speak to me. He said, Arise, my son, depart from here. It's time for your prosperity. As it were, God will be stammering. (laughs) (laughs) No, what you hear Christians do sometimes? You just be looking at them. Let me just digress. Let me just tell Christians there. Fill your head with the understanding of the word of God. Nobody will be able to confuse you. Constantly, one brother one day discussed some important decisions he had to make. He said, That day I was praying. The Lord said, I said, My friend, stop that. I said, If you want me to stop this discussion, I stop it. But when you tell me the Lord said, You are telling me not to say anything. So that the Lord said to you, Keep it aside. Let's talk. We are Christians. Let's, like I said to you all the time, Christians reason. It's not like we don't reason. What we used to reason is what the difference between a man of faith and people that don't have faith is. It's not whether we can hear voices. You heard voices does not mean anything. Balaam heard voices. He heard it clearly. God spoke to Balaam and Balaam was wrong. God spoke clearly to Balaam, yet Balaam was wrong. What God told him was wrong. You know what's in that one before in your Bible? As soon as Balaam got up to go, the Bible says that God was angry that he went. Open your Bible. Let's read. Anytime I quote it, people were looking at me funny. <laughs> it's true now. People, they'll be looking at me funny. 
Let's go to Numbers 22, somewhere around there. Anytime I get it, we'll be looking at me, the pastor, I'm using Balaam head God, and yet it was wrong. We know the story, so we're not going to spend a lot of time on it. Balak sent to Balaam. That's in verse um, 3. Down to verse 4, you see Balak. What did he say now? Okay. Anyway, if you get down to verse 6, he said, Now, therefore, please come, curse these people for me, since they are too mighty. And then so, that's what he told them, the elders to go and tell Balaam. Balaam spent in verse 8. He says, Spend the night here, and I will bring word back to you as the Lord may speak to me. And the elders of Moab stayed with Balaam. God said, Now listen, verse 9. God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of, the, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent word to me. And all of that. And God said to Balaam in verse 12, Do not go with them. Now, verse 15. Uh, no, verse um, 13. So Balaam arose in the morning and said to, the, to Balak's leaders, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. Alright? And then Balak, in verse 15, again sent leaders more numerous and more distinguished than the former set. Okay? And listen to this. In verse 16, they came to Balaam and said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Let nothing, I beg you, hinder you from coming to me. For I will indeed honor you richly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Please come then, curse these people for me. Balaam replied to the servants of Balak. Now listen to this, very nice sounding. Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could do nothing, either small or great, contrary to the command of the Lord my God. Now come, please, you also stay here tonight, and I will find out what else, what else. The Lord will speak to me. Verse 20, God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise up and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, you shall do. So Balaam arose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the leaders of Moab. Let me ask you a simple question. How much clearer can a man hear God? But read verse 22. But God was angry because he was going. If this never confused you, then it means you were so confused you have stopped thinking. (laughs) This is very confusing. You see here, God said clearly to Balaam, if they have come to call you, go with them. Then the very, two verses later, verse 22. But God was angry because he was going. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against the man who claimed he was obeying what he heard God say. Now he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his strong sword in his hand. And if it's today, it is his cocked gun in his hand. The donkey turned off from the way and went into the field. But Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back into the way. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow part of the vineyard with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, he, she pressed herself to the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place. I'm trying to get somewhere. Now, all of this happened. Now, of course, the donkey opened his mouth and began to speak. And just by the way, People say that, why didn't Balaam run? Don't, you don't know how powerful Balaam was. It was not strange to Balaam. Balaam had heard what Gekko's talk before. So it's not a strange thing. Let's not even go into that. What I want to understand, I want to bring out is that, verse 31, then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand, and he bowed all the way to the ground. The angel of the Lord said to him, 
he said to him, why have you struck this don- your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out as an adversary because your way was contrary to me. Read the rest of it. God said he should go, right? But read the rest of it. He said, but the donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, I would surely have killed you just now. Many people have heard God and died on the way. Why are you going? I heard God speak. Then on the way, they have an accident and they die. I've told you all this one, learn how to hear the voice of God. Forget that. You never heard me teach it. Have you ever heard me teach it? God forbid. There are things I don't teach. I've seen people hearing the voice of God die in the process. Balaam says, surely, if this donkey, and if you know the principle, what God was so sure as to show him as he opened the eyes of the donkey. The donkey, the donkeys don't see angels naturally. Don't think that donkeys have a frequency by which, uh, the, the frequency of light they operate by which angels are seen. No. It was just God said, let's, let's save the life of Balaam. Let's save Balaam's life. So he allowed him to see the, the angel. So the donkey kept on trying to avoid that angel. God said, were you not for that? I would have killed you just now. A man who heard God clearly. So please, don't come and impress me with what you heard. Like I like to say, what you heard is only as accurate as your heart is pure. Balaam had the wrong heart. He loved the wages of unrighteousness. He wanted that money. That money was important to him. And because of that, that was why even though God said, uh, don't go first time. He went to pray. He said, God, can't you see the offering is bigger? The offering is bigger. God said, okay, fine. If that's where you want it, you can go. It was more of stubborn man. You won't listen. Go now. Maybe you want to go. So he said to him, go. That's what I'm saying. What guides Christians is their integrity, first of all. What guides Christians, first of all, is their integrity, is the knowledge of God, is the heart of righteousness, is the heart of faithfulness. You can't tell him to take a man's job. He says, please, you have to stay with me for one year. And you sign an agreement, you will stay. Three months later, you're applying for another one. Then when they appoint you, now you now go and pray, God, do you want me to take it? God will always tell you yes. If your integrity couldn't have told you, you were not supposed to apply in the first place. God will certainly tell you yes. That's how many people are hearing God. They are hearing rubbish. The premise upon the prayer is already a sin. Upon which the prayer is based. It's already a sin. You are a single woman, fine woman, a non-believer comes to propose to you and you are going to pray. God will say to you, marry him. Arise my daughter. People don't know what I'm about to do in your life. I'm about to do a strange thing. Get up right now. Show you a picture of everything. What was the sin you committed that it was a prayer point? My friend told me a story that happened in Houston. True story. A man left his wife who has like, a, is this seven or nine or eleven children for him? I've forgotten the number. I'm not joking. I think it's not Nigerians. I have plenty of children. This was in Houston. And he left her to go and marry another woman. And they said, why? He said, God told him. God said to a married man, married man to go and marry another 
woman, God. Inka showed me a video once in which they said, Will you sleep with your boss for promotion? One girl said, If God tells me to. I can assure you, God has told her twice. And he's going to tell her a third time. And God's bringing her different bosses anyway. There's a new boss, you want promotion? Sleep with that one too. Why is the Lord telling you that? Uh, that's what you want to hear. To the crafty, he shows himself as what? Uh, what are you doing? Do you know the God you're dealing with? Who would entice Ahab to go to Ramoth Gilead? In the integrity of the upright guides him. I'm talking about predestination, and that's what I, told I wanted to emphasize. So God has set a destiny. He doesn't show, us, show it to us clearly. He guides us into it. Our integrity guides us. I hope you're getting my point. Each season of life, he removes an obstacle. He removes a hindrance. It is the extent to which God can remove the hindrances in your life that your destiny can fully manifest. It's one of the command wills of God. It does not happen automatically. It doesn't happen automatically. That is why when we are praying, say, God, not one shred, not one dot, not one jot of my destiny will be missing. What you are saying to God is simple. Whatever you have to do, do. You don't just claim the fullness of destiny by faith. No. Abraham, first, for you to enter into destiny, you must leave your father's house. And destiny is on suspension as long as you are still in your father's house. You leave your whole father's family. So Abraham went, initially went with his father and his um, nephew Lot. There was no progress until his father died. Then he moved on with Lot. And Lot became a problem to him. There's destiny that would not manifest as long as Lot is in the life of Abraham. That's just the way it works. I hope you are getting my point here. It was when Lot left that the next level of destiny could manifest. As um, Ishmael came into his life, at a point in time, Ishmael also had to go. And interestingly, even Isaac, at a time, he had to be willing to let Isaac go. If he was not willing to let Isaac go, there is a level of destiny that he would never would have manifested. What am I saying? When we're talking about God's pruning, remember we began by explaining that God does not prune dead things. He prunes living things. Ishmael was not dead. Lot was not dead. There were things that God deliberately cut off from the life of Abraham. Destiny. Our destiny only manifests in as much as we allow God to cut the things off. I prevent the destiny from manifesting. People are looking for visions. God said, forget visions. Each time in your life, I show you things that have to go. Don't forget what we said earlier. They are not things that are terrible. In themselves, they may appear like they are not bad. But there will be things that God said, no, that one has to go. Otherwise, you will not fully manifest destiny. Listen, the difference between the 60-fold man and the 100-fold man is what God, what he or she has allowed God to prune away from the life. Every extra weight is a limiter of destiny. What is the destination of God in our lives? What is predestination? It is what God is able to do if, if we allow him, if we walk with him, if we cleanse ourselves of all defilement. 
Please, let me just drop this again. People say, how do I hear God? Today, somebody say, ask that question. You know, I refuse to read the question out. Because the question and answer. I'm tired of people telling me, how do I hear God? God can shout. There is nobody in the Bible that practices how to hear God. None. Tell me one. Was it Hosea? Which one of them is a, is a shepherd? Amos, thank you. Amos was even complaining. Amos said, they said, don't prophesy. I said, do I look like a prophet? I'm a messenger. I hope you get my point. Isaiah said, he wakened me morning by, by morning to hear. Even if I'm sleeping, get up. I have to wake up. Thus says the Lord. One day I sat and compiled how God spoke to people in the Old Testament. And I saw this one I do in the New Testament. That's not how God used to speak to people. When God spoke to people, does this? A number of ways. One, the word of the Lord came saying, they heard the voice clear. Not the one that I perceive in my spirit that God is saying, no. Next, angels show up. Sit down. The Lord said, I should tell you, go and tell these people. And on that way, they get caught up into the heavens. They have visions. Nobody practices how to hear God. This doctrine of you practice how to hear God. You will pray, 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 pray until your spirit is silent. Yeah, whatever comes to your voice, listen to me. It is the one you imbibed three days ago that's rising up today. If you watch a horror movie three days ago, I know what I'm telling you. That's just the way it works. Nobody in the Bible practiced how to hear God. Paul was practicing how to fight God. Is that not true? Then what happened? God knocked him down. Light shone so bright that even a blind man would see it. Samuel did not know God spoke to people. Samuel only knew that he was dropped in the, in the tabernacle of God to assist an old man whose two sons are very useless. And he served God with a whole heart. So one day he heard somebody shout Samuel four times. He didn't even know who it was. There was no practice. I tell Christians, God can shout. They said, God only speaks in a still, small voice. That was Elijah. In Moses' case, he set a bush on fire to collect his attention. So please, brethren, don't worry about it. God knows how to speak to people if we must hear him. Now this is a summary of what I've said today, which... Um, I hope I have um, pointed out something to us. Talking about predestination, that's where I began from. That God has a destiny for everybody. It does not mean it will happen. What is God's destiny for us? It is that which he proposed from the beginning, which he will be able to execute in our lives if, somebody say if, if we walk with him, if we perfect our work with him, if he's able to remove, we allow him, to remove every hindrance. It is what he will, he will produce. Not that which we proposed directly to produce. But that, that which he produces in us. By virtue of the seed that is sown constantly. I hope you're getting my point. That's what predestination is. Yes, God has a destiny for every person. But will it manifest? And to what extent will it manifest? Is dependent on us. I hope you're getting my point. Once we have accepted the Lord Jesus, we become his disciples. And the thing about disciples is not that they go to church, no. The thing about disciples is that they are letting go of their former thought processes 
and imbibing the thought processes of God. He said, take my yoke upon you. How do you do it? You learn. So disciples are converting themselves from, a, uh, from an old operating system to a new operating system. The extent to which we enter into the new operating system, not that we had visions, we saw visions or heard voices, but that we have a new operating system, a new method of operation. That is the extent to which the destiny that he prepared will be fulfilled. It is not that anything that comes to our lives is just the way God wants it. No. Let's read this scripture and I think it will help me to finish this up. All right? Now, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul said in verse 20, Now in a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. He now said to him next, Now flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the name, who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That is, if you do these things, the destiny of God for your life will be fulfilled. It is not that just anything that happens to you is what God planned as your destiny. I hope you're getting my point here. How much of it will be produced? Will it be 30-fold? Will it be 60-fold? Will it be 100-fold? First, negative things must go before you get 30-fold. Are you getting my point? For you to be useful at all, negative things must go. Everybody is used for something. Judas was used for betrayal, not because that was divine destiny, but because that was what he made himself available for. How much of good will come out of your life if you decide to face the direction of good? Is it 30, 60, or 100? It's not determined by the living things, and the things that are not necessarily bad, that God is able to remove, that you are willing to submit for him to remove from your life. That's what destiny is about. It's not just that God has proposed and it must happen. No, it's how much of God am I willing to let come into my life. It's a deliberate choice we make. And each crossroads we come to in life, it's how you get to a crossroads. Integrity, yes, that scripture I was quoting earlier. For those who are interested, it's, it's Proverbs chapter 11, verse 3. It said, the integrity of the upright will guide them, but the crookedness of the treacherous will destroy them. Every time we get to crossroads, all right, what God is saying is simple. Use integrity to make the right choice. Use righteousness to make the right choice. Then you'll be heading towards a hundredfold. Periodically in life, you will prove something that is not bad, but is a waste of productive energy. That is what takes you from sixtyfold to a hundredfold. I said something the other time that there are arguments I don't get involved in. Remember the other time we explained that when athletes are preparing, they don't prepare easy. So somebody comes to me this is and says, What is wrong with having two wives? I don't have your time. Today, you know, somebody asked a question. Eh, must my tithe be given to my church? I said, I've left that level. Go and ask that the freeze. <laughs> I've left that level. I don't have anybody's time now to be arguing with me. Should I pay first fruit or second fruit or third fruit? I've left that level. I don't have that time. I think I have serious things to discuss now. To be arguing with you whether 10% of your income belongs to God. 
I, I personally have more serious things to discuss. I told the guy, go and ask that difference. Leave me alone. The man now comes to me and he's asking me, he says, what is wrong? What did the Bible say you can't marry two wives? I say, please, I really think you can marry ten. Just leave me out of it. The one I have is good enough for me. If you have marriage problems, let's pray for you. Stop coming to twist the word of God. Thou can't I have a second wife. <laughs> I hope you get my point. Look, we are, we, are, we are in a race. We don't want to die one day and God says, Banky, you are supposed to bless you no know, one billion people. Because 10 million people were celebrating you. You were very happy. Why wouldn't you be happy? People like you were blessing only 500,000, 22,000. But God said, look, there were supposed to be 1 billion people whose lives were transformed. But because you were so busy endorsing one governor, endorsing one senator. <laughs> Do you get my point? As a, as, a, as, a, as a pastor, you removed the ability. Because once you endorse one governor, everybody in the opposition party, they left your ministry, they stopped listening to you. You became a hindrance to people attaching themselves to the word of God. Small, small things like that. So either we are cutting them off. Pastor Craig gave an example here the other day. Ah, I don't know whether you noticed it for those of you who came for that meeting. I, I was the one he was referring to. <laughs> of course, he said, he pointed to me. That time my wife was in labor. Baby, who are you delivering that day? Was he on Mena? No, I was not the one who delivered on Mena. It was that Benga. was Benga. She was in labor. Benga was inside her stomach. So we said, Pastor Nebakari came to town. So I said, baby, let's go and hear the man of God. She was in labor, you know. She used to leave the hall to go and do like this. You know the way women do. Pop her fingers. So we entered the car, drove there. We sat in the big uh, indoor sports hall, Ogbe Stadium in Benin. That's what Pastor Craig was referring to. So later on, I called him. I saw him from afar. So I told him that I was in that meeting. You were in that meeting, yes. Ah, I didn't know. He didn't tell me this before. I heard it that day. He said, Banky was in a meeting. Protocol so separated me, he couldn't greet me. After that, he removed himself from that group. He said, this is not how to go far. He didn't do anything evil. They just put him inside because it was a, P, it was a PFN, you know, um, is it president, president or chairman, what do they call PFN? State, state president for PFN in Sokoto that time. So when he came to Benin, they ushered him amongst the big boys. Are you getting my point? And small boys like us, whose wives were in labor, who were standing <laughs> afar. Men of God, how you know, bless your servant. You know that kind of thing. <laughs> so when I told him I was in the meeting, the guy said, what? You were in the meeting? Yeah, this protocol... The way they arranged it did not let me see my guy. After that, I told himself, this is not the way forward in life. Next time they went for a meeting, he escaped all the protocol. I'm coming in by myself, leave me alone. It wasn't a bad thing to be in protocol, but the man just looked at it and said, no, I don't want to go like this. Where have I raised in life? That Pastor Bank came for a meeting and I couldn't see him because they fenced him off. He said, no, I lie, I'm not doing it again. Was it a bad thing that he was involved in initially? No. But he said, those, those, you see, I told you then, athletes, to advance, listen, each choice they make is to stop being a man that will finish 100 meters in 10.98 seconds, to become one that can finish it in 10.95. What they are making that choice for is 0. Point something seconds. They will scrape their hair. They, look, the running shots they wear is specially chosen. 
If they have one that is fi- uh, the fibers are smoother than the former one, they will throw this one away. If the pair of shorts is two thousand dollars, they will buy it just to gain zero point zero one second. Because when it comes to it, the difference between the man that wins and the one that comes second can be that narrow. That is the reason why I don't have time for anybody arguing with me on whether God says we can marry a second wife with what we can't. I've seen the lives of those who married many wives. David, a man after God's heart. No matter how much after God's heart you have, if what you are involved in is a bad thing for destiny, it will affect you. A man after God's heart, first six sons, born by six different women, none of those boys could become king. They were killing each other. Raping each other's sisters. Doing fine boy, no pimples in Israel. Not one worthy of being a king. Not one. Solomon, who amplified the genes of his father, when it comes to womanizing, he said, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the one wife of thy youth. Solomon had to tell us that. You now want me to be arguing in this generation. We are talking about winning a race that we are winning by 0.01 second. I don't want to give you some testimonies now. If I give them some testimonies, you'll be surprised. Because why I don't give some testimonies that people misunderstand them. The reprint said, God looked at him one day and told him, go and lose weight, you are too fat. And they had never saw a fat reprint. So. He didn't just say you are too fat. He said, the weight you've gained the last few, maybe last one year. What is all of this? The reprint had to... The reprint said there was a time he felt sick. He had infective endocarditis. He started praying, God, Why? Then suddenly God gave him a vision that when you go to a restaurant, you eat everything on the plate. Whack, 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 buffet, chop this one, chop this one. God, you look at it. Look at this foolish one. Is the kingdom of God now in food and drink? Please, most of you, don't worry about that one yet. God is not concerned about your food yet. You have worse problems. <laughs> By the time God starts watching your food there, he has solved your financial problem. He has solved your, your looking at other women problem. He has solved many other things. He has solved your timekeeping problem. He has solved other things. Those don't eat too much, eat too much. It's for people that the serious matters have been solved. These are not things that look small. But God said, no, this small thing will shave a part of your destiny. Let's stop it here. I want us to close on time. Let's bow our heads to pray. Let's bow our heads to pray. Say, Father, we thank you. Begin to pray. Say, Lord, that destiny, nothing will be missing. That destiny... Nothing will be missing. That destiny, nothing will be missing. That destiny, nothing will be missing.